So uh, to begin with, I want to kind of get, set us again for the intention for the whole year. Who are we as women here at going through this Bible study? We are dwelling richly women. What does that mean? Well, that means we enthusiastically and intentionally dwell in the word and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We're enthusiastic as we experienced Sunday, yay, with the outburst. And just as you're feeling tonight in this room, this is a fun, exciting, enthusiastic group. And we're here for Bible study, you know, that's awesome. And we're intentional about getting into the word. And we don't just let it happen when it happens to happen. We make time. And so we're enthusiastic about it. And we're intentional about letting the word of Christ dwell in us. Where are we going in this Bible study? Well, we're going to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. <laughs> and you might want to highlight that verse from Colossians 3.16. That's going to come up a lot throughout our, our study time together. That is the central focus of what we want to do here together. Next, we want to make sure we remember that the Bible is not about discovering ourselves. And we really want it to be. <laughs> we do. We want to get into the Bible and say, what have you got for me today, Lord? Fix my heart. Bring me comfort. Bring me peace. Give me, give me, give me, right? <laughs> and in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that because the Lord loves to fill your cup and fill your needs. But in Bible study, we have to reset and make sure we're approaching it from this point of view, that the Bible is not about discovering ourselves first. It's about discovering God, right? And I think we just launch and skip right over that in our heart to fix and understand. And we want wisdom. We want insight. And again, nothing wrong with that, but we have to put first things first. We need to make our time in the word first about discovering God. So first, what can this teach me about God? I'd love it if you get a post-it note and you write that out on a post-it note and you stick that in your Bible as a bookmark, or you stick that on the first day of your lesson and make sure you reset your mind before you jump into that first lesson. And you just say, all right, what do you got about you, Lord? What am I going to learn about who you are? Make that your first thing and your biggest priority. So where are we going? It's God discovery, then self-discovery, because you are going to grow. You are going to learn about yourself, but we need to get it right. Start with God first. And we have that strong tendency to make it about ourselves. We just do. And again, you know, God created us in a sense that way, but we need to make sure we set that intention at the beginning and redirect our thought process. So a very good guiding verse should be familiar to all of you from our Roman study last year. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If our mind is not renewed, we're going to constantly make it about ourselves. We're going to see a verse in the Bible and think, what does this mean to me? When that is the inappropriate question to ask, what does God want this to be? Is the appropriate question. We have to get our mind renewed. We need to come in with that intent so that you can discern what is the will of God. How many of you would like to know what the will of God is for your life right now today? Just really want to know what you need from me, Lord. What is your will? Need your mind to be renewed, right? How many of you know want to know what's good? You need to have your mind renewed. How many of you want to know what's acceptable? This day and age, don't we all want to know that? You need your mind renewed. And what is perfect? Not settling, but perfect. Your mind must be renewed. And I promise you, it will be if you make it about God first, and then he'll renew your mind. But if you go at it 
but with yourself first, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to read something boring and go, well, that didn't do anything for me. You're going to read something kind of confusing and go, I don't really understand that. What is the Bible doing? Or you read something shocking. Like, what did they do? They let this happen and God was okay with that, right? You're going to read stuff like that because you made it about yourself and you wanted to get your needs met first. But if you make it about God, you can say, all right, God, whoa, what are you, what are you doing here? What is this about, right? Help me understand. You're making about God first and then your mind will get renewed. And I promise you're going to get great insight if you allow that process to begin there. So then we find ourselves in him, all right? We find ourselves in him first. So where are we going? Well, we're going to be intentional. That's what dual language women do. We're intentional about getting there. And then we're honest about the challenges. How many of you know, based on even just your conversation tonight in your, in your group, that you have some challenges when it comes to finishing Bible study, getting it start to finish and getting it done. Yeah, man, I'm right there with you. In fact, just a few days ago, I wrote a blog post about that particular challenge for me. It does not come naturally for me just to wake up and go, oh, I'm going to be in the word of God today. <laughs> Get out my cute little journal and cozy up with my coffee. You want to read that full post about me just being honest about my lack of self-discipline in that? Go to my blog, read that post. It's right there on the front page. But you've got to be honest with the challenge challenges and stop pretending that's magic thinking that you're just going to wake up and everything's going to be great and then when it's not you're like oh man this stinks right but if you if you get there and you start with this is a legit challenge for me then you you get that about yourself and you can lay that before the father and say this is really who I am I'm not going to pretend this is actually what I'm like and then you lay it all out and God says I know I got this. You're going to make it about me and we're going to, we're going to do awesome. Right. Then you're going to be expectant that expectant because you are already thinking about the end of the year and finishing strong and being empowered and being excited and being a sense of accomplishment. Like I did big thing this year. I, I went through this Bible study. I learned about God and in the process, I connected better with myself, my family, my spouse, my girlfriends, my, my children. Right. You have that hopeful expectation that, that God's going to meet you, right? And you're joyful. That's what dwelling richly women are. We're enthusiastic. That's that joy, right? And so when you, we get into the word, we're just like, God, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. And you're going to have that joyful spirit as you get into the word. Because you know that the Holy Spirit will teach you. He's not going to just leave you there, right? It's okay to be suspended for a while and a little bit of like, I don't not know what this means, but you're not going to be abandoned there. As you enter into this process and really embrace what God has for you, I promise you he's going to show up. Open your time in prayer. Consider what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 6, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples as much as he's talking to us today and saying, the whole, this is the job of the Holy Spirit to connect with you, to help you understand, to lift you up so that you're not left, not getting it. And that he's going to call to mind what you need to know when you need to know it. And when you have that embedded, you'll be surprised at the times that it's just going to come out in the middle of a conversation or a fight <laughs> or being on social media and going, no, not going to say that. Right. I invited Rachel to share a little bit about that, how that ended up working in her life just really recently. And I was tickled about this. And so thank you, Rachel, for being willing to come and share that. 
Um, so last week, Joe was preparing for the first, the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of the first, uh, you know, the Peter series, Stranger series that we're doing. So last week when he was preparing for his, this past Sunday sermon that he taught, he was really wrestling with the whole concept of predetermined that came up in that passage. And he just was sharing with me that he was kind of wrestling with it and, and struggling with kind of a clear way to explain it. And so as soon as he said that, I thought, oh, and I said, all right, sit down, we're going to open up Romans chapter eight. <laughs> And so I just kind of, and went through, and this all came up, this came up yesterday in group because in my group yesterday morning, we were talking about how sometimes it's really hard to retain the information in Bible study. Maybe in the moment, maybe you go, oh yeah, I, I really get that. And then like a few weeks later, you ha- you can't remember. You have like no idea what that means anymore, what that verse means, what that passage means. It just kind of left your brain. And that, I, that happened. I remember when we went through Romans chapter eight, like really getting it. And then later going, I don't remember at all what that means anymore. (laughs) But when you do the work, when you put in the time and you put in the work, you leave the rest of the Holy Spirit. And when those moments come and you put in that time and you put in that work, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind. And that's exactly what happened with Joe, because when he brought that up, I mean, immediately the Holy Spirit just boom, Romans chapter eight, and we opened up the Bible and I like was able to really using, you know, what Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight about, you know, um, predetermination, all that was able to kind of explain it all goes back to those who love God. And at the end of the conversation, Joe was like, wow, well, I'm good. Like, I really get this now. And thank you. You got it. (laughs) So when you feel discouraged because you can't retain the information or some, just remember that when you put in the time and you put in the work, the Holy Spirit will do the rest and he will come through in the moments where you need that passage and you need that scripture. Amen. So, so it's true. And I hope Rachel's story is a reminder to you. And I, and I hope I, you're recalling in your own life, like actually, yeah, that has happened to me. I didn't think I would remember, but the Holy Spirit enabled me. And, you know, you're going to have to approach Genesis with what you've got right now. You've, you've only got the skill set and the knowledge level that you have right now. Right. Uh, it's like a toolkit in a sense that you're bringing. And so because of that, in the same way, if you were out on a trip and like you had a purse or your, or your tote bag and uh, the weather turned and you didn't anticipate this. And the one thing you really wish you could, would have had with you that moment was chapstick who just hates being out of chapstick. It's the worst <laughs> chap lips. Like I could never show up on that show survivor. <laughs> I, I just have to have chapstick. Never, there's probably other reasons why I won't be on that show, but chapstick would be on um, top of my list. And so you, you only have in your toolkit. And when you go to scripture and you're under, trying to understand something and you're at a loss and it seems confusing, boring or scary or awkward or horrifying, like I said earlier, maybe it's because you don't have what you need in your biblical theological worldview toolkit to really grasp that. And so rather than just letting it go at boring or horrible, maybe you just say, I don't have that in my toolkit to understand. I'm going to trust the process in the Holy Spirit to give me the tools that I need. And you'll have the chapstick at another time. You'll come back to group and somebody will help you understand it or will hear the teaching or just moving in on the scripture. And God is going to to, um, give that to you. I promise you, he will. He's been faithful to me, all right? So one of the things I want you to also understand is I'm not any different than you in that. I might have more in my toolkit because 
I've spent a lot of time in this, but I bump up against things in scripture where I find myself at a loss. And I want you to be encouraged by that. I hope that it's not like somehow magically Joe or I or anybody in a, because we're behind the pulpit are the ones who just understand it all. We do the work and it's work when we get into it. And you can, you can do that as well. So um, God's going to provide you your chapstick when you need it. It's going to be in your toolkit when you need it. All right. So how are we going to get there? All right. So we have a mindset and a mission, a mindset and a mission. Um, so we're going to read with the mindset of basics, who, what, when, where, why, just the essential basics. And that's such a simple thing to do when you're going to scripture. If you find yourself at a loss, just say, okay, who's the main character? <laughs> have you ever read a novel and gone like, I have no idea how many characters are on this book anymore. Like I have lost track. Is he in love with her or is sure? Where do they live? Oh, I have to go back just get the basics who what when where and why and if you're finding yourself lost or confused ask that question in your head did i think about all of those basics right um then you're going to want to think about context like when and how is this taking place and in the idea of context it's really important to understand that the document that you're reading genesis in particular is an ancient document certainly not written in our not only is it not written from an american perspective it's not written by a woman. It's not written by somebody in the 21st century. That's obviously, that's self-evident. But is it though? Because when we go into the scripture and we start reading it, we kind of want it to be about us and about our timeline. And so when we bump up against something that doesn't make sense, it's because probably we brought in our own mindset from the 21st century. Now, reading Romans was interesting because Romans was written from a strongly Greek-influenced cultural worldview. Um, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all of those guys had already influenced the way of thinking. We're Greek in our mindset in America. Our foundations of our civilization was built upon that kind of mindset. It's very linear, uh, very step, very bulleted, right? So Paul had an interesting perspective because he was Greek and Hebrew. And so he could bring both those worlds together. So that was about 2000 years ago that that happened. And we could kind of relate to it because of that way of thinking, that Greek mindset. But now I want you to go back 2000 more years back to ancient Israel and the cultural and the worldview and the cosmology that they had back then. It's not Greek anymore. It's completely Eastern. It's really different mindset. And so we're bringing into the context our American 21st century female worldview and that's going to jack you up i'm just going to be honest <laughs> it's not it's going to really mess with you when you bump up against certain passages you're like that does not sound right at all well of course it doesn't you're coming at it from here you need to really get into the context from there so i'm going to i'm going to ask you um to think about not bringing our worldview into the scripture be careful about that just bring the holy spirit with you and your toolkit. Just bring the Holy Spirit. Leave everybody else. Imagine it in a sense of going on a missions trip, right? Going or even just into a foreign country. You just go off to a foreign country and you're not going to go there expecting everybody to bend to your English language and sensibilities and time frame, right? So you're going into a foreign country when you go into Genesis. Think about it like that. I'm traveling in. I'm going to be gracious to their understanding of their worldview. So I'm going to do an exercise with you to help you kind of do this. I'm going to give you a word when I give you this word, uh, I want to have you create a picture of that word inside your head. And then I'm going to ask you to just draw it on your paper. So wherever you're taking your notes, um, just get your pen out and um, paper and get ready. I'm going to give you just, it's going to be one word. 
And whatever pops into your brain, don't overthink it. No one's going to quiz here afterwards. One word, one little picture that pops into your brain. And then as simply as you can, um, put that picture in your mind onto the paper. Are you ready for the word? All right. The word is earth. All right, so just from glancing around the room and watching the motion that your pens are making, I'm guessing you all drew what shape? Circle. A circle, right? Did anyone draw a flat line? No flat earthers here, got it, okay. You all drew probably a circle, right? Why did you draw a circle when I said the word earth? Why did you draw a circle? Because it's a planet. It's a planet, planets are round. How did you know that? Uh oh, third grade science. I don't know. <laughs> You've seen pictures. We've been to outer space, turns out. We've seen the Earth from outer space, right? They launched people into outer space this summer. <laughs> Little regular humans went out there, right? And we've seen the pictures. We've watched the moon landing. We know. We've studied. We've, we get it, right? So I want you to think about going to the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and you picture a globe now i want you to transfer yourself back into ancient times somebody reading that from four five thousand years ago is there any way shape or form that somebody from that time period would ever in their mind bring forth an image of a globe why why would they never have brought a globe into their brain ever why would they they have no sensibility that the earth what we're standing on is a globe and that's not bad for them. That's just where they're at, what's in their toolkit. So the Bible was written to them at that moment to help them understand. So when we go into Genesis, we've got to be really careful about how we look at a certain word, okay, and then assign meaning to it from the 21st century if it didn't mean it to them in, in you know, 4,000, 5,000 years ago, all right? Some things are going to ring true. Grass is probably still just grass. I'm not trying to get too crazy on you, but I'm use that as an example to help you remember you are having a cross-cultural experience, even more so than when you did Romans and going all the way back to Genesis. It's cross-cultural, generational, everything. It's a different, it's a different world in a lot of ways. All right. So how are we going to get there? Again, with mindset. We're going to be mindful of the fact that this genre, can you get the AC back on it? I'm getting a little stuffy up here. Um, this genre that we're reading is important to keep that in mind. Uh, genre matters, right? And uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Revelation, Romans, any of the above, they all have a different genre. Some might be narrative, which would be stories and history and biography and parables. Some might be poetry. That would be Psalms, wisdom, literature, prophecy. Some might be discourse. That's going to be like Romans was speeches and letters and, and essays. So it matters. So when we go to read Genesis, if you're expecting discourse, you're going to feel like this doesn't sound chronological. This doesn't feel like it's going in the right order. And it, you're, it's going to feel more poetic at sometimes. And so uh, if you understand genre, if you understand how to approach the scripture because of the genre that it is, then you'll release yourself from some stress and confusion as as you're reading it so again how will we get there we're going to read with a mission and our mission is threefold number one get it that's just basic comprehension like i said earlier who what when where why 
you know, just basics. This is where you're going to kill it on Jeopardy if it's ever going to be a category. Genesis ever comes up, you are going to kill it because you're going to know like all the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob stuff and what happened at this well and what altar was made there and where this basic idea was, or this river, this landform. You know, that's the basic idea. So it's that's a great place to start. Just kind of get the basics. Again, back to the who, what, when, where. All right. And then it's going to be grasping it. Now, grasping it is the act of interpreting something. That's when you take the word earth and you're like, well, that doesn't mean globe to them. That means this to them because I'm moving in and interpreting. Now, it means globe to me, but it's not necessarily what it means to them. So you're going to take a moment to interpret. And that's a, it's a hermeneutic is, is a big, big word there on how you approach those words and make them mean for what you can understand. But you got to make sure, again, you don't miss the main main point on that, um, that it, what it meant to them. Then it's go with it. So get it, grasp it and go with it. That's the favorite part. That's what we really want. We want to apply it. We want to make sure we understand what it means for me today and how it makes me feel. So we're careful because we started with God first. <laughs> and we made sure we made it about him. And then he nudges our heart and helps us understand how to apply it. All right. So that application, again, starts with what I can learn about God. And then it asks, what does this change? How does this change my view of myself? Because when I reorient myself to God and his perspective, it naturally should adjust me where I'm going with it. And that's what this Bible study will do for you as you move into it. Then you can ask the great question. Okay, how do I live now? How do I engage with my husband? How do I engage with my friends, my family, social media, whatever, like that's when it gets down to that. Um, in Genesis, uh, we're going to have everything about beginnings, of course, um, everything that's new. I mean, think about it with Adam, the newness of what Adam experienced. I mean, literally experiencing all the first things first, everything and how everything would have been new. I mean, you know how it is if, if you've ever dated and, and your first you know, first kiss or your, your first love or your first date or your first going there. Everything's just so new and special. Every single thing that Adam ever did and Eve did was new. No one else had ever done it before. How exciting. So Genesis is all about newness. It's newness for them. It's discovery as well for us. Discovery in a lot of ways, including words. Um, you, maybe you've already heard the word Torah before. Is that a word you've heard, familiar with? You'll hear that a lot in this study. Uh, Pentateuch. Have you heard that word before? I'll throw out a couple others. Um, Septuagint. Maybe you've heard that word before. How about hexatuch? Anyone ever heard of hexatuch, right? You pen a tube, we got hexatuch. Lots of great words. Probably the greatest of all is the very first word in the Hebrew Bible. And that is the word in the beginning. It's three words for us, but it's the Hebrew word bersheet. Can you say bersheet? Yeah, look at you speaking Hebrew. First lesson. Good job. So in one word, Hebrew, bersheet, we have our three in the beginning, it's a Hebrew word that basically means way back when. It's a very general reference to time. It's not a specific point. It's a general reference, fair sheet, way back when. I've written up here in the Hebrew letters, and remember, in our way of reading, we go left to right. Hebrew is right to left. So the very first letter you see up there is the shape here with the flat and then the dot in the middle. Do you see that? And the little two dots under, underneath there. That's the bait in Hebrew right? And then um, the middle, that middle um, shape that has like the three coming up points, that's actually the sh sound. Sh. So we have bare sheet. Now in the original Hebrew, there was no actual vowels, everything's consonants, and they added the little dots later on to help with the vowel sounds. 
But why don't you take a look and remember that game you used to play when you had Highlights Magazine and have you to compare pictures, see what's in this picture and compare what's different in that one. It helps you to learn to see when you're a little kid. Same thing happens and it's a good skill for adults. And I want you to learn to do that in this Bible study as well. I've written part of the word down below that's inside the word above. So the full word is Bereshit. And then the inside word is, can you see it? Can you see all the letters? Are you matching them up? Getting it? That middle word, that middle letter is the Aleph, the first letter. So right there in, in the beginning is the Aleph and the Beit, right there, the very opening word, okay? So that word, that middle word right there is based on the term Rosh, right? And it means head. So in the beginning has the head of everything, the start, the capstone, the first moment of everything. And it's right inside that word filled in. Hebrew is fascinating. You're going to love learning some Hebrew with me this year. Um, let me go back to that so you can see it. No, no, go to the wrong direction. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I wanted you to see the circle around it in case you missed that. All right. So a couple questions for you. Do you know anyone that's an atheist? Do you know anyone who just struggles with faith and believing Christianity and religion in general? Um, maybe you have someone who actually flat out mocks the gospel or is very antagonistic to the gospel. Um, can you answer them? Do you feel confident engaging with them? Is that challenging for you and scary for you to think about having to have that conversation? If it's a family gathering, it's the worst, right? Don't anyone bring up any of that, right? It gets scary. In Genesis, you're going to be able to answer a lot of the questions that are very common to people, especially those who push back on Christian faith. So why Genesis lost and found? Because we're going to answer essential questions like, does God exist, right? Who is God? What's he like? What's his nature? How was the world created? Is it a really young earth? Is it super old? Is evolution involved in that? How should men and women engage? Sex, marriage, family, work, society. Why is there evil? Why is there suffering in the world? We are going to have the answer to all of those questions by the end of Genesis 3. Just the first three chapters, we're going to address every single one of those questions. Do you have somebody in your life who wrestles with this and has dismissed Christianity because they can't get a satisfying answer to that? How would you like to be able to engage well with them so that you can? Well, that shouldn't just be a hypothetical question. It's not meant to be rhetorical. It's meant to be, this is, should be your mission because it's your calling. Take a look at what Peter reminded us of. So why is Genesis lost and found important? Because it helps us to fulfill our call. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You're going to be equipped if you enter in and embrace the study in Genesis to be able to do that. You know, one of the fun things that I enjoy doing on the side, <laughs> fun for me, maybe horrifying to any of you, but is I, I like to engage online in groups that are, uh, especially on Facebook, that are filled with atheists and people who hate Christianity. Um, there was literally a world give the bird to Christianity um, event that was an online event. In, give the bird is a euphemism. Hope you, I'm not going to give you one. You can ask me what that means later if you don't know. And good through you that you don't know what that means. And they literally had this online event. They hate Christians. They hate God. They hate the concept. They hate all that. I love being in that group because it gives me ideas. You know, the idea of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So I go into those groups. So I'm like, what are they rattling around about today? And could I answer it? It's like a test. Like it makes me think could I address this? So what I do is I go into the group and I save some of the memes and I copy down some of the comments that they do and they mock Christianity. And I see if I can, what would I say? And I don't really engage in there, but I put it in my think tank box and drop it into a file and save it for later for nights like this. So I'm going to show you this meme and I want you to see if you 
would know how to respond if this actually happened to you. Imagine yourself sitting at work on break and these two people are having a conversation and you're listening in. Jody from HR, through God, all things are possible. Me, okay, do a kickflip. Jody, what? Me, do a kickflip right now. And you're sitting as the third person just listening to it going, oh, Jody, why did you quote scripture out of context? <laughs> that verse does not mean that. You can't just stand up and do a kickflip. Stop doing that. You make yourself look silly. You make Christianity look like nonsense. And so the pushback from the me guy, the guy, all right, do a kickflip is, is mocking, of course. But she's basically taking Christianity and whittled it down to little nonsense, to out of context phrases like this. Your study in Genesis is going to help you not do that anymore. How about this one? Nice little American family with their Bible, having their devotions and mommy and daddy and kids together sitting around the Bible. And then he's reading. And here is the parody version that an atheist says. Then the sky wizard became a zombie carpenter so he could save us from the magic apple curse. The end. Right. So think about that. That's a caricature. But listen, it's it is what Christianity purports. Magic sky wizard, Jesus Christ, God, becomes a zombie carpenter, raised from the dead carpenter, so he could save us from the magic apple curse. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, initiating sin. This is a parody. This is what non-believers see. If you saw that meme in your feed, in your Facebook or Instagram or what have you, or someone was talking along those lines, would you just go, wait, what? That, that sky wizard? No, he's not. Or would you actually have a way to engage with them? All right, here's my favorite. Adam and Eve, very classic illustration of them in the garden. According to Genesis, we all come from Adam and Eve who had three sons. Think about it. Take all the time you need. Could you respond to somebody who went read Genesis? And that is what you're going to read. It says in Genesis, three sons. There is no mention of daughters. How did they have children. <laughs> Take all the time you need. Someone says that to you and you go, well, I guess I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe the Bible anymore. Or you just go, I just took it all on faith. I just believe it because it says it. Or do you actually have a cogent response to somebody, right? Genesis is going to equip you to have that cogent response to people. All right. We're going to get back to that thought in just a minute. But as we go forward, I want you to think about these two things, what to avoid and what to aim for. Aim for this Bible study with no notes. Don't rely. Don't, don't, it's like little training wheels. Get rid of them. You get into the Bible. You bring the Holy Spirit with you. Don't, don't go into your study notes. Just trust the Holy Spirit for now, right? Use the cross-references. That's letting the Bible interpret the Bible. It's the little tiny verses that are in your Bible. Use those a lot. Be disciplined. Put a post-it note and cover up those study notes if you need to. Um, use a dictionary. Webster. That's your BFF. <laughs> just look up words that you don't understand. Don't just sit there and be confused. and like, oh, whatever. I don't know what it means. Just keep reading. Don't, don't do that. Be good and use a good translation. I recommend these four, the NET, which is what we'll use for this Bible study, the ESV or English Standard Version, the NIV or New International Version, and the NASB, the New American Standard. All four are very good, good, solid, sound translations. There are others, but those happen to be four that I tend to use the most. Avoid this, commentaries. I just want to beat that horse a little bit more. <laughs> uh, use them later, but my rule on commentaries is don't use one. Use five, because you're going to get different perspectives no matter which one. And if you love your one favorite commentary, you're just going to hear that guy or gal's perspective all the time. Get out five and challenge yourself to think. If you want to go for the commentaries, do it. It'll help to some degree 
or to leave you really confused. <laughs> um, again, don't use the study notes in your Bible and please avoid paraphrases. Please do not do any Bible studies at all ever under any circumstances from the message Bible. It is not, it's a paraphrase. It's a rewording and don't, don't use the good news. Now message is great. It's fun, but it's not for Bible study. Good news is fine Bible, but it's not for Bible study. It's just, it's more devotional style in the way it's written. And it's somebody else's way of rewriting God's word. All right. So dwelling in the word and the word dwelling in you involves you praying, opening your lesson and trusting the Holy spirit it involves memorizing and meditating. you got the app. You can get the picture on your phone and help you to memorize that word. Um, you're going to write scripture a lot this year. We're going to read, of course, we're going to engage, not just let this, you know, Bible study sit there. We're going to really move in and out of it. And we're going to take time to reflect. And with that in mind, we're going to realize that sometimes you're just not going to know. <laughs> you might even come to Bible study the next week with question marks on everything. <laughs> I don't know. I tried. <laughs> I'm confused. But I did my best, right? Remember, Jesus left his own disciples in the, I don't know. It's okay right? You only have your toolkit that you have. You might not have chapstick. You might not get that. It's okay. Let that process be guided by the Holy Spirit. The Bible study works Tuesdays, 9 to 11, 15 a.m. or um, 6 to 8.15. Wednesdays, that's tonight, of course, 6 to 8.15. We have 13 lessons in this particular study. There's going to be a lesson given to you every two weeks. So what you're taking home tonight, you're going to take two weeks to, to study. There's, there's about 10 days in each lesson. Sometimes they'll give you nine days. Um, but for this lesson, one is going to be 10. So meter that out. You have 14 days to complete that and 10 days to, to fill all that in. Um, we do have an online community. And of course, like I've mentioned, we have the church app. I also teach through every day of the Bible study. So you can join me on YouTube for the video or on my Dwelling Richly podcast for the audio. Quick study tips, get a buddy. Well, for starters, it's fun just to say that you have a study buddy. Come on, study buddy. So get a study buddy. Give somebody who you can trust to, if you're whining about the Bible study or tired and don't want to do it or prayed did not go that they'll say, yeah, no, you're, let's just yeah, stop. Get over yourself. We're going, we're doing it. Like get somebody who will kick your butt a little bit. I did not just say that. Um, and um, study with me. I, I make the Bible study available. I do every day of the lesson on my YouTube channel. So join me watch and we'll have fun together. Um, of course, that's the YouTube or the dwelling, which the podcast, and then you have a small group connect. You know, don't just show up every two weeks. Just like reach out and be a part of those groups and then come together and share. I said a minute ago that we're going to get back to this concept, and so I want to do that right now. Uh, this picture right here is an image of God creation, creating the word, a world, and um, holding in that moment of creation there is the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet um, Aleph. Right? And uh, for me, my personal story in terms of getting into Genesis starts back about four years ago. It actually probably started back me many, many more years before that, because for 10 years, I taught an Old Testament survey uh, class and got the privilege of, of teaching the same content basically for 10 years in a row. And I loved getting into the Old Testament so much. One of the things I loved about it was how I saw God constantly wanting to engage with, with people and what he was like. And one of the things that struck me is how often God asked questions. So our very first memory verse is based on this moment of God asking question in book of Isaiah chapter 40, when he says rhetorical, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. In other words, you do know, 
You have heard. God is the creator of the ends of the earth, right? Very rhetorical. We're going to memorize that as our first um, opening part of this study to orient us to these truths that the heavens are recounting the glory of God and the expanse is proclaiming his handiwork from Psalm 19. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him from Hebrews chapter 11. And of course, we know from Romans that the whole Romans epistle opens in Romans chapter one with Paul reminding them that it's self-evident that you have to choose to not see the reality of who God is and what he has done. So about four years ago, I wanted to start teaching through Genesis and I, I thought, oh, at next year, I'll, I'll teach Genesis. And I heard God say, not yet. <laughs> Some of you might even remember that. And then the next year, I thought, oh, maybe I'll teach Genesis the next year. And God said, not yet. And then the next year came, and I wanted to teach Genesis. And then I realized, I don't want to do it yet. It's a lot. I've been studying it now for two years. I'm not even ready. It's very, it's a lot. I'm not ready yet. And so thankfully, God said, not yet. And so we did Hebrews, no big, <laughs> Hebrews. And then we did Romans, no big, we did Romans. And then very unusual, but as I was beginning to write Romans last summer, God said, Genesis is next year. That's never happened. God pulled me back each year from moving forward and knowing what I was going to do. But last summer, I knew that the end of Romans we'd be doing Genesis the following year. And that was pretty exciting to me. I was like, I'm so ready to get into Genesis. I think I am. We'll see how this all goes. One of the things that's exciting is how God ordains our days and our seasons and allows us to do things in just the exact right time that he has. In fact, when you go to start reading through Genesis, and that's literally all you're going to do for this very first lesson, you're only going to read Genesis. It's a little harder than you can imagine. You're like, oh, I'm going to only read. <laughs> Good luck. It's a lot to read. <laughs> and you're going to want to dive in, but just move through it and let yourself just let the word flow over you. What you're going to find in the very opening of Genesis is a reminder that God is ordained times and seasons and been very specific about it since he called his people into existence and called his nation into existence and called you to be here tonight in this very room take a look at what god has done he's ordained for certain feasts to be followed there's seven feasts that god has set aside in the spring feast the very beginning of the jewish new year we have passover in the middle of that, after, or shortly after that, we have unleavened bread. And then after that, the very next day, we have first fruits. Every single one of those feasts have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died as the Passover lamb. Unleavened bread when Jesus was in the grave for those days. And first fruits when he rose up from the grave. Those are all three fulfilled and they were ordained by God in the Old Testament. 50 days, we count from first fruits. We call that this period of Pentecost or Shavuot in Hebrew. This is when the church was created because 50 days after Jesus Christ rose up, if you remember the act study, what happened? The Holy Spirit came. That was the day we call Pentecost. Jesus fulfilled, the Holy Spirit fulfilled Shavuot or Pentecost in, um, in the New Testament and when the church was born. Fall feasts were ordained by God as well. We have the feast called Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets in Hebrew is Yom Teruah. It means day, Yom Teruah, shouting. Um, we have the Day of Atonement. It comes right after that. And we have the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot after that, Yom Kippur. You might have heard um, people talking about that. Um, in Hebrew, Yom uh, Teruah, the Trumpets. It's also called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Have you heard of that? heard before as well in Romans chapter one, verse 20, 
It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. People have no excuse, right? They are understood, Romans chapter one. You know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah are very great, significant and important days. And I don't know, I didn't know why God kept on holding me back from starting Genesis until I began to write, began to write the Genesis study. When I started to write the Genesis study, and in fact, just clarifying some things just four days ago, I started looking at my calendar to see, you know, dates and when we're going to do things. And it occurred to me, we're going to begin the opening day of Genesis on the very first day of the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. You remember the word Rosh that I told you about? It's in the inside word inside of Bereshit, Bereshit. Rosh Hashanah, do you know when Rosh Hashanah began? The first morning of Bible study yesterday. That's when it began. Yeah. Do you know when Rosh Hashanah ends? Tonight, the sundown. The last day of our opening Bible study. It's the day of shouting, Yom Teruah. It was the day that the Jews to this day celebrate the creation. And we are starting a Bible study on Rosh Hashanah. God ordained my days to hold off and hold off and hold off and begin Genesis on this day for this reason. Because I looked back on the calendar and Rosh Hashanah did not start on the first day of Bible study last year. Rosh Hashanah did not start on the first day of Bible study two years ago. Rosh Hashanah did not start in Bible study three years ago. <laughs> but the year that God ordained for me to start Genesis with you, ladies, Rosh Hashanah, down to Ruah, started on our very first day of Bible study. Right? Is God in that? Absolutely, he is. <laughs> so you don't think my mind was blown when I discovered that? And I wanted to scream and call all of you ladies individually and say, oh my goodness, wait till I tell you. <laughs> so I'm excited, needless to say, because I already know God's at work and what he's doing and the timeline that he created for us to start when we started this. This is going to be an exciting study and an exciting time together. And I promise you, you're going to have some mind blown alignment of days because of I know that God called us to start this Bible study when it did. So you're in this season of your life. You're in this room tonight for a reason because of what God is already doing in your heart and in your mind and preparing you for. And what you have in your toolkit is exactly what you need to start because God's ordained for you to be here today. Amen. Yeah. Are you excited to start this study? <laughs> All right. Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun. Like I said, the next two weeks is just going to be reading through Genesis. Just read it. Right. I've given you some loose guidelines to help you move you through Genesis. Um, please feel free to join me on YouTube as I talk through some of those things. And uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to continue uh, providing those videos for us for this season. But as we, as we close tonight, I'd like you to turn in your um, books and have your lesson. And we're going to be closing with a theme song. Each one of our lessons will be in your introduction page. So please bring that introduction packet with you um, as we go through this study together. And our theme song for this study is on page five. Well, this is my father's world. Maybe you're familiar with that song. I've been playing it tonight also. And let's just go ahead and close. And we're going to stand and sing this song together. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world, I rest me in the 
countries of skies and seas, his hands the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let earth be glad. Amen.